We are in Mark's Gospel, continuing in Mark's Gospel today, Mark chapter 7. And if you'll, if you'll bear with me, I need to practice something before I get there. That word is Aramaic, and it's not easy to pronounce because it's got PH in there twice. Do you see that? It's Ephatha. Ephatha. So hopefully I'll be able to say that when we actually get there in the text. Ephatha. So we just sang um, about, or John just sang about, the fact that the mission of God is a little bit counterintuitive. That, that as the people of God lay themselves down like Jesus did, that is how and when the nations who don't yet know Him come to know Christ. You say, well, where, where do you get that idea? We get it right out of the Gospels. We get it right out of the life of Jesus. Jesus has been with the Jewish people, climaxing with His debate with the Pharisees in chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. And in verse 24, we're going to read here in just a second that Jesus gets up and He, and he goes away. In other words, it's intentional. He's, it, the word for going away there is, is a strong way of saying it. In other words, He's done. He's made, he's made His case with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are rejecting Him. As we know from chapter 3, they want to destroy Him. So Jesus has has completed his mission in Jewish territory, and now, in a sense, he retreats. He takes a retreat to enemy territory. <laughs> to get away from the Jews who should have received him as Messiah, he goes to Tyre and to Sidon. Interesting. Verse 24, Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. Hear now the word of God. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre, and when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, the word there literally is Greek, of the Syrophoenician race. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. One of the most confusing statements of Jesus in all of Scripture. We'll unpack that here in a moment. Verse 28. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed the demon having left. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven... With a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he immediately began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute. To speak. May God bless the reading of His Word. Would you pray with me? God, help us as we dive into this passage this morning to hear plainly from heaven 
what it is that you would have us to know. God, we ask, we ask, Lord, that you would remind us that you are still on mission and you are still using your church in that mission. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as this passage begins, Jesus has just engaged the Pharisees in a heated conversation, debating religion and the gospel. And things are building to an inevitable climax, but Jesus is not yet ready to go to the cross. It's not yet the appointed time. And we read in verse 24 that Jesus got up and went away. His showdown with the religious class leads him to go out of Jewish territory into the region of Tyre and ultimately to Sidon and the Decapolis deep into Gentile territory. I find this, pastorally, I find this fascinating. And I hope you do as well. To get away, to get away from the Jewish family, if you will, he goes to Tyre. This is incredible to me. Have you ever been to a family reunion and you were just done? Jesus was just done. And the way he gets some rest is he goes on mission to people who don't want to have anything to do with him, at least historically. They don't want to have anything to do with the Hebrew people. As, as Edwards writes, Tyre probably represented the most extreme expression of paganism, both actually and symbolically, meaning from the Old Testament, that a Jew could expect to encounter. In Zechariah 9.4, the prophet prophesies the destruction of Tyre by fire. In other words, there's going to be a day when the people that Tyre represents in their ungodliness, they will be consumed forever and ever. But here, we have the king of Israel getting away from the Israelites and going into the heart of a territory that represents the height of godlessness and opposition to Israel. Why in the world would Jesus do this? And the answer is, of course, because Jesus is not just the king of Israel, he's also the son of God. He's the son promised not just to Abraham, but also to Adam. He's the son promised who would bring sons and daughters who are descended not just out of Israel, but who are descendants of Adam and Eve. In other words, he is a king not just of Israel. He is a king of all nations. He's a king for all peoples. He is the son of Isaiah 35, who brings gladness to the desert wilderness of Lebanon. Where is that? Tyre and Sidon. He is that son, and he is going on mission to all peoples. And do you see how this text ends? The people are astounded, they're astonished, they're amazed, and they proclaim, he has done all things well. It's, that language is the language of Genesis chapter 1, when God looked at his creation and he declared that it was good. Here we have the King of glory, the Son of God, coming and showing us that He's not just the King of the first creation, He is the King of new creation. And the work that He does in the Gentile territory leads people to say, He has done all things well. The word there is good. He has done a good work. If you are a believer in Christ this morning and He has transformed you from the inside out, would you not agree that He has done all things well? That He does a good work good work. And it's a work that the nations need to know of and to hear about. And so for us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, as Mark's gospel is urging us to do, for us to participate in the good work of Christ, we see three things Jesus does that we must also do. First, 
we must enter enemy territory. Jesus is not going to reach the Gentiles by hanging out with the Pharisees. He's got to get out of town. Secondly, we must understand that Jesus' mission to Gentiles does not mean He has abandoned Israel. And finally, we must trust that Jesus opens ears that are deaf to the gospel and loosens mouths to praise Him. First, we must enter enemy territory. The Jews are looking for a Savior who is going to expel the Gentiles. But Jesus goes to the Gentiles not to cast them out, but to bring them in, to offer them new life through Himself. Jesus is, interestingly enough, seeking rest, trying to enter a house without notice, but what happens is He gets noticed. Why doesn't Jesus want to be noticed? Several reasons. First, He he wants to get to the cross in accordance with the divine plan, but secondly, we learn in chapter 9, Jesus is trying to find some private time where He can pull His disciples aside and teach them through reflecting on what's been taking place. But Jesus is not able to get this alone time with His disciples. Why? Because wherever Jesus goes, He cannot escape notice. Now for Jesus and for the disciples, that must have been frustrating. But for the church today, this is a great promise. Aren't you glad that Jesus cannot escape notice? Wherever you go in Jesus' name, wherever you go in Jesus' power, if Jesus is on you and in your life and transforming you from the inside out, the promise of verse 24 is that Jesus will not escape notice. When you take Jesus into places that are far from God, Jesus will be noticed. When we try to give Jesus to our friends and our co-workers and our family, sometimes we feel like we're failing. Sometimes the best thing we can do if we're frustrated up to our wits end trying to share the gospel with that same person or that same family member and they've rejected Jesus so far, one of the best things you can do, do is get out of your comfort zone, go into new territory with the gospel and watch what Jesus does. We saw this happen in Puerto Rico. You see, it happen when you get out of your comfort zone and go in Jesus' name, trusting Jesus to show up. Jesus shows up. People take notice. Unfortunately, I, and some of you may have this same problem, I am a perpetual realist. Y'all know what that means? Some of you are... Per, my, my favorite president in the modern era was called a perpetual optimist or an eternal optimist. And some of you have that gift. I mean, it could be pouring down rain outside and you know, a glimmer of sunlight somehow comes through the window, and you're like, isn't it a beautiful day? No, it's pouring down rain outside. That's me. I'm a perpetual realist, which means I constantly have to go to the Word of God to be reminded, church, that what we see now does not have the final word. God's agenda and His mission in the world are advancing through Christ's people despite how I feel or even what I see. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, a verse I've quoted for you in several sermons, God always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. It's what we saw in Hurricane Ravage, Puerto Rico. It's what our young professionals group... By the way, I, many of you may not be aware of this, but we've got a growing 
Sunday school class of young professionals that's meeting on Tuesday nights in homes and, and God is working through them in the valley right now to bring people who are curious about the gospel to saving faith. It's happening right here at North Roanoke Baptist Church. So you say, what can I do? Pray. Pray for our young professionals group. It's, it's electric. I was there on Tuesday night. There's 18 young professionals from the valley having, hanging out, having pizza, strawberries, and queso dip. It was really good. But God is doing a work, and when Jesus enters a territory where people are far from God and afflicted by Satan and burdened by the cares of this world and without hope, the promise of the gospel is that Jesus will be noticed if we take Him there. And you know what? Some will do more than take notice. Some, like the woman with a little daughter who had an unclean spirit, will actually hear of Him. And the gospel of Mark continues to place the emphasis on hearing. You can't trust Jesus. You can't fall at the feet of Jesus. You can't receive the ministry of Jesus unless you actually hear about Jesus. Chapter 4, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the people of Jesus, when people hear of Jesus, those who were once far from God come and fall at his feet. Think back to chapter 5. When we see the synagogue official named Jairus begging for his daughter, he comes to the feet of Jesus. Now Jairus has a name. He's got a position, and he's had an opportunity to understand the gospel. But this is a Greek woman, a Greek Syrophoenician woman. And she doesn't even have a name given to her in the text. And she's only just heard of Christ, but she's heard enough to come and fall at His feet. When we enter enemy territory and people hear of Jesus, there will be some who will come and prostrate themselves, lay themselves down in humble submission to the authority of Christ at His feet and say, God, whatever you have for me, whatever you expect of me, whatever you want of me, I give it to you because I need your saving grace. As Edwards writes, of all the people who approach Jesus in the entire gospel of Mark, this individual has the most against her from a Jewish perspective. She's from Syrophoenicia. She's a pagan woman. She doesn't even have a name in the text. And yet, there she is, right where anyone who comes to Jesus will be found, at the feet of Jesus. Look at what she does in verse 26. She's at His feet, and she's repeatedly asking Jesus. She kept on asking Him to deliver her, or more specifically, her daughter, from the forces of darkness. When it comes to being rescued by Jesus, it doesn't make any difference whether you're a synagogue official or a Syrophoenician woman because Jesus does not see human status. He sees human need. North Roanoke Baptist Church, we need to be a church that's entering enemy territory, not looking for the most wealthy or the most impoverished or the most middle class or the most this color or the most that color. We need to go where there is human need, preaching and announcing the gospel, trusting that God Himself will draw those to fall at the feet of Jesus. What this means for us, church, is we, we don't need to accept the barriers that the world is creating between people. The Jews would have said to Jesus, you can't go to Tyre. That's a bunch of pagan people. But the very barriers that the Jews tried to erect, Jesus comes and breaks them down. And He breaks them down with His very presence, the presence of Himself and the giving of the Gospel. As Aiken writes, Jesus cares for the nations and so should we. We care for the nations, how? By going to them. 
We care for them by sending missionaries to them, believing that Christ will not escape notice. Some will hear and come to the place of healing and salvation. Some will run to the feet of Jesus, but we must be those who are willing to go into new and distant lands, into enemy territory with the gospel. But secondly, we must understand that Jesus' mission to the Gentiles does not mean He has abandoned Israel. Aren't you glad that Jesus goes on mission to the Gentiles? Because if He didn't, I, I submit to you, somewhere near 100% of us wouldn't be here this morning, right? We're Gentiles. We, we, most of us here were not born as biological descendants of Abraham. But Jesus goes to the Gentiles, and the question that that raises in the Gospel, well, what, what about Israel? Did, did Jesus actually come for Israel? Yes, He came for Israel. And one of these tensions that we have in church life is, well, pastor, if you're saying we're going to get crazy radical and we're going to go out there and tell people far from God about Jesus, what does that mean for the church? Does that mean we, that He doesn't care about us, that we have to abandon our community or the things that we love? Is there, is there not enough Jesus to go around? Verse 27, Jesus replies to the Syrophoenician's request to heal her daughter with, the, with what Achan calls one of the most shocking and controversial statements he ever made. In verse 26, she keeps on asking him to, to deliver her daughter. But in verse 27, Jesus keeps on saying to her, every time she asks, Jesus says this, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? Anybody else? I mean, that one's, that one's a little tricky. What do we make of this statement? In the Old Testament, dogs were associated with uncleanness because they ate garbage and corpses. Dog was also a term used for people judged worthless and dispensable. In Matthew, Jesus warns us against giving what is holy to the dogs. So what in the world is going on here. Is Jesus calling this woman and her daughter a dog? And the answer is a little bit yes, but mostly no. You see, this woman likely knew that the Jews thought of the pagan Gentiles as dogs, as those who did not follow the law. But Jesus does not here use the normal word for an unclean dog roaming the streets, but instead a different word that means puppy, or a house pet. Jesus is not calling her a name. He's not insulting her. He's not calling her a name because she's a, a woman or a Gentile woman. He is instead testing her faith with a parable and a turn of phrase. It's a technical parable that she picks up on. Jesus addresses the relationship of His mission to Israel and to Gentiles in this one-sentence parable. And he does it when he says, let the children be satisfied first. Do you see that word satisfied? It's the same word that Jesus, that is spoken of in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 42, when Jesus feeds the 5,000 Jewish men and their families, and they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus' point is that he's not going to abandon his witness to the Jews in order to bring hope and salvation 
to the Gentiles. As Edwards writes, the mission to the Gentiles does not take place before or apart from the prior witness to Israel. But Jesus has already begun to fulfill this. He's come to Israel. He's fed them bread. They've eaten and been satisfied, and yet many are still rejecting Him. You see, God's desire for Jews to come to saving faith in Christ is unmistakable and it's unrelenting. And and Jesus wants us Gentiles to know that God has not abandoned Israel simply because the gospel is going to Gentiles. Their biology, unfortunately, will not save them. Only Christ can. It's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. It's why Paul went to the synagogue every time he went into a new city. Where did he go first? He went to the synagogue. It's why in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, I wish that I could be accursed. I wish that I could enter into hell in order that my Jewish brothers who are still rejecting Christ could be saved. Jesus says to us, church, the children, the biological children is the word there, that they must be satisfied first because Jesus is the Hebrew Messiah. But He is also God's promised Son who will lead a worldwide kingdom comprised of people from all nations. I told you a moment ago that Jesus is speaking in a parable, and it's a test. And by calling her a puppy rather than an unclean dog, here's what Jesus is saying to her. I know, woman who's standing in front of me with a daughter who is demon-possessed, I know that people have said that you're a dog and that they have assumed that you don't have any hope. But, But what if you are a puppy? Not yet seated at my table, but closer to the bread than you've ever been. The problem, of course, in this riddle is how is it that she could get bread? Because as we've seen in the feeding of the 5,000, as we've seen going all the way back to chapter 3, the disciples could not get away to have bread. Mark has been building this theme in his gospel of how is it that we can have the bread that satisfies, knowing that Jesus is ultimately the bread that satisfies. And the question is, how could the puppy ever get any of the children's bread? Are you with me? Now, growing up in a pastor's home, my dad liked to spring on my mom sometimes. Hey, honey, I just thought I'd let you know that I just invited three families over for lunch. They'll be there in 20 minutes. <clears throat> I, I have not done that to my wife. Uh, if, if we invite you to lunch after church, it's going to be out to eat because I'm not expecting her to multiply bread. But I remember my mom in those 20 minutes. I get home and dad's still hanging out, talking, counseling after church. I get home and my mom, man, I, somehow she did it. Every time, you know, enough for four people became enough for 12 people. But there was a lot of stress in those 25 minutes. But you see, the Gentile woman passes Jesus' test with flying colors. Because this is what she says in verse 28. Let me, let me break it down for you in the pastor's translation. Yes, Lord, we are all dogs under the table with no rights whatsoever as members of your family. You're right, I don't deserve to be a child of God. I don't deserve to be seated at your table. But I believe, Jesus, that there's enough even for me already on the table. Even if the dog, even the dogs feed on the kids' crumbs, and then in amazing grace, when 
Jesus hears this answer from this Gentile woman in amazing grace and mercy, He lifts her up and He lifts us up. No longer dogs, sinners, but children saved by the grace of God. You see, the word that this woman used for child is different than the one that Jesus used. The one that she uses includes servants. It's children and servants. In other words, God, I'm happy to be a servant of you if you'll just make me one of your children. A nameless Gentile pagan woman is the very first person in Mark's gospel to hear a parable of Jesus and to understand. Jew or Gentile can have a seat at God's table if they partake of Christ the bread. Jesus keeps on multiplying bread for 5,000 and His disciples still don't get it. We learn in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 52. It says their hearts were hard. They didn't understand about the bread. And then He tells a story to a Gentile woman about the fact He's got to go to Israel first. And the Greek woman says, That's okay, Jesus. I'm fine with that because there is plenty of spiritual life in you to go around. I know that you are the Lord of multiplication, not of division. There's an unlimited supply of power in you to give life. I don't need a big old loaf of bread to be welcomed as a servant at your table. One crumb, just one little crumb of your life-giving, supernatural, demon-eradicating, soul-purifying power will do, Jesus. Yes, we are worthless Gentiles, but if we could just get one crumb of your presence King Jesus my daughter will be healed and where there is that sort of faith in Christ the son the demons must flee and the daughters of the Gentiles become daughters of God finally able look at what she's doing in verse 30 finally able after being terrorized by the forces of darkness and the demonic she's finally able to lie down and rest church we must not forget You say, what does that mean for the church? Here's what it means. We must not forget that there is an endless supply of Jesus to be offered to the world. Are we willing to go to new territories and new communities and new apartment complexes and new people with the gospel? Or do we privately think on the inside that that means we've abandoned our home turf, our family, and our church community? You see, there's an infinite supply of life-giving bread available in Jesus, and that means we can, indeed we must, impact the valley and reach the world all for the glory of King Jesus. Finally, this passage shows us that we must trust Jesus to open ears that are deaf to the gospel and to loosen mouths to praise Him. Jesus is an amazing healer, is He not? My son was unable to use his tongue effectively or properly. Still struggles some. But until he was two and a half or three years old, he could not stick his tongue beyond his lip. And really struggled in the way of speech and articulation and swallowing. And when we read about this man whose ears cannot hear and his mouth cannot speak, I think of my son. The words in verse 35 about the man's tongue say that it was shackled with a chain. And Jesus touches his mouth with his own saliva and loosens his tongue. Jesus is the Lord 
of new creation. And he journeys deep into Gentile territory. Why? To include you and me and the nations in his ministry. He wants to include ever more people and to touch their mouths and loosen them that they could glorify God and to open their ears that they might hear the gospel. You know, it's interesting. Jesus heals in the Decapolis. The last time that Jesus was in the Decapolis, do you remember what happened back in chapter 5? They asked him to leave. But Jesus leaves the, the healed demoniac, the man who had a legion of demons, he leaves him behind as a witness and he must have done a good job because when Jesus returns, Matthew's gospel tells us that many people come to Jesus, but Mark focuses on one man in particular, a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. Why this man? Why why did Mark pick this one man? He picks this one man because he represents all humanity. You see, Every human being is incapable of truly hearing the gospel and giving praise to God unless God Himself and the person of Christ opens our ears and loosens our tongues to declare His praise. And God does this in the sending of His Son and in the going of His church to those who need Christ to open their ears and to loosen their tongues. This is what Isaiah promises that the Messiah will do when he says the eyes of the blind will be open the ears of the deaf unstopped then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy the man's friends ask Jesus to touch him perhaps to bless him but Jesus sees an opportunity to do more than just give a quick blessing he pulls the man out of the crowd as Aiken writes Jesus' attention is personal and it is compassionate. Ferguson adds this, The man could not hear Jesus, and he was also incapable of verbal communication, so Jesus spoke to him in the language he could understand, sign language. The fingers placed in his ears and then removed meant, I'm going to remove the blockage in your hearing. The spitting and the touching of the tongue meant I am going to remove the blockage in your mouth. The glance up to heaven meant it is God alone who is able to do this for you. Jesus wanted the man to understand it was not magic, but God's grace that healed him. And the promise of this passage, church, is that Jesus is broken over the brokenness of the world. Do you see what He does in verse 34? He sighs deeply over the brokenness he encounters. But then Jesus has the power to heal completely. And that is our confidence as we go in Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Though the ears of the pagans around us are closed to the gospel, Jesus will open them. Though their mouths cannot proclaim his praises, Christ will loosen their shackled tongues to speak and proclaim the good news and to sing his praises because Jesus is the Lord of creation and he is the Lord of new creation. He is the one, verse 37, who does all things well. This morning, my goal has been to remind you that we serve a king who has not abandoned his mission to Israel and he is on mission to the nations. And when we go in Jesus' name, we can trust that he will be noticed and that he will do all things well.
We're going to close in just a moment by singing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Don't you know that there are hundreds, perhaps even thousands, within a few stone throws of this building whose tongues still do not declare the praise of our King because their ears have not yet been opened to hear the Gospel. Oh, that we would be allowed to see the King who does all things well bring revival to our hearts, deploy us on mission, and loosen the tongues in this valley to sing our great Redeemer's praise. Would you bow with me? Our King and our God, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your goodness to us in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, we thank You that, that You did not neglect Your mission to Israel. And God, that You are even using now Your faithfulness to, to redeem Gentiles like us, to provoke Israelites to jealousy. God, that our, that our lives should be a shining example whereby they see the grace of God in our lives and are convicted that Jesus Christ, You are God made flesh. You are their King. You are our King. God, help us to be on mission for You, trusting that You will do all things well. In Jesus' name, Amen.